And now, with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, helping you find your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. And I'll say a little bit more about that. That is just something that uh, I found to be true time and time again. Actually, it's very much rooted in uh, two deep-seated beliefs within myself. So, uh, like I said, I'll say more about that here shortly. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited to be with you here today, each and every Every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12 noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between, because each and every week, these broadcasts focus on the integration of our spirituality and our mental health, all within the ever-widening context of our relationships with ourselves and others and God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if uh, you would like more information about me, or maybe you want to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It is www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. All one word there, so www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And as I said, uh, you can go back and listen to these uh, broadcasts because now they are podcasted in case you want to go back and uh, get caught up into the archives and listen to previous shows. And if uh, you would like to uh, call in and be part of today's show, I invite you to do that. You can just call the toll-free 9-888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. 6008. And give me your insights, your comments, and thoughts on today's subject the Tetris of forgiveness, the shape of things to come. Now, for those who are just tuning in for the first time, um, as I said at the beginning, that um, you're reclaiming authenticity is is very much a, just an outgrowth of two deep-seated beliefs within myself, and um, just something that I had seen time and time again, not only in my experiences as a counseling therapist, but also in the trauma work that I do, working with uh, kids, teenagers, and adults of all ages, but also the pastoral work that uh, I was involved in. Uh, and still involved in. So it comes out of um, this integration, I should say, flows out of these two deep-seated beliefs, in which, one, I truly believe that people already have the answers within. Um, you know, because how many times we get frustrated because we're looking in all the wrong places. You know, we, we, we think we need to go over there and we're going to chase a magic bullet or, you know, the latest craze or the, the fashion statement or something, which is only meant to give us a quick fix. But nonetheless, we try it out because, well, we're looking for answers. We want to be healed. We have always wrestled with things. We just can't seem to get through them. But when we start to look inward, we realize that we have 
started in the right place. We look for the answers within because the second part of these deep-seated beliefs also has to do with the fact that I truly believe that all of us come into the world already equipped and graced with everything we need in this life in terms of our giftedness, our skills, our talents, our strengths, character traits, so on and so on. We come into the world with these things already. We are, let's say, gifted by God. We are already blessed by God. And uh, we often go through life and uh, we tend to forget that. And that's something that my uh, uh, India friends constantly remind me that, uh, you know, sin is uh, more or less that we have forgotten God. We have forgotten how connected we are with God, and therefore we act out of ignorance. We uh, commit things and uh, wound other people from a wounded place in ourselves. We don't realize how connected we are to one another and God or the divine. So as we go along in life, and maybe due to some unpleasant experiences, we may think that we need to hide our giftedness, because perhaps we've uh, shown that giftedness or those skills or those talents, and for one reason or another, we were ridiculed, or we were shamed at some point, or we were made to feel guilty, because, well, you know, who are you to be showing off? And we weren't showing off, we were just acting according to our giftedness and our skills and our strengths, and so forth. Or maybe we push our giftedness as a result way down so that others cannot see it. And we tend to forget that, well, those gifts didn't go anywhere. They are ready to come out. And, you know, perhaps we were told that we would never amount to anything or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's nothing special to us, which was all lies. But at uh, any rate... We do not realize our giftedness, and we end up going through life functioning from that place of woundedness or that uh, victimization instead of a place of healing and wholeness and embracing our uniqueness or our hachetas, that, that specialness that everybody has. And so that's why I say we all come into the world with everything that we already need, and we have the answers that lie within and so I encourage you to find that uniqueness about you, what is special about you, because you have gifts that are uniquely yours. You know, they belong to you. However, when we function in our gifts and strengths and character traits and so forth, um, you know, for the benefit of others, that's when it really becomes just a source of healing and grace in another person's life. And hopefully they discover new things about them. And the whole reason why I place, um, you know, the integration of spirituality and mental health in relationships is because when you think about it, and here's the irony of life, that we often receive our deepest physical and emotional and psychological and even spiritual wounds in our relationships. And yet we can discover our greatest healing and strength and peace and forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. You know, relationships, I always say, is like the common denominator in all things. We experience woundedness in relationship, but yet we can also experience a tremendous healing and grace. And these relationships just might be within our own families. 
our own coworkers or our friends. Because whenever we are involved in, let's say, being transformed, we're also going to automatically transform others by our presence, grace and understanding. You know, sometimes people can notice a change in us before we notice it in ourselves. Just how we carry ourselves or the presence we bring into a room or any social situation. Uh, but first, forgiveness, kindness, and compassion begins with how we treat ourselves. Because really, when we are compassionate with ourselves, we then can be compassionate with others and vice versa. And when we are forgiving of ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others and vice versa. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves and just simply be grateful and thankful for each and every day, we then discover how this opens up our hearts to see and to live in gratitude with others. See, the transformation indeed, is first and foremost, begins with us, but it's also meant for the betterment of others. And one of the ways people get in touch with this integration of spirituality and mental health is that many people engage in meditation in order to find their healing, grace, and peace within. And yet, as the Buddhist Vietnamese uh, teacher Thich Nhat Hanh once said, that meditation is not to get out of society, but to prepare for re-entry into society. And this is what we call engaged Buddhism. When we go to a meditation center, we may have the impression that we leave everything behind. We leave our family, society, and all the complications involved with them, and we come as an individual in order to practice and search for peace. But this is already an illusion, he says, because in Buddhism, there is no such thing as an individual. Okay. And Carl Rogers, one of my favorite uh, psychiatrists who was the founder of person-centered therapy, also once said uh, regarding relationships that when another person is hurting or confused, or troubled or anxious, alienated or even terrified, or when he or she is doubtful, uh, just filled with self, you know, doubtful of, of their self-worth and uncertain as to their identity, then understanding in others is called for. You know, the, the gentle and sensitive companionship of an empathic stance provides illumination and healing. In such situations, he says, deep understanding is the most precious gift one can give to another. So how do we do this? How do we live this out on a daily basis? What does this look like on a Saturday morning or a Monday afternoon or even a Wednesday evening? Well, that's what this show is all about, helping you discover how to reclaim that which has always been in you. So welcome to today's show, the Tetris of forgiveness, the shape of things to come. Well, first of all, um, I just have to start off by asking a question. What is it about forgiveness? that invoke such an emotional reaction in us? What is it about forgiveness that, that just causes you know, a stirring deep within? Now, I think it's because we are often reminded about all of the injustices or mistakes or ridicule and shame and horror and the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain inflicted on us or all those things that we have said and done to others. 
or perhaps we have such a visceral response to the word forgiveness because we know that society's definition of forgiveness and its often half-hearted apologies only further cement wounds that need to be brought to light, that need to be heard, that need to be healed properly. And at any rate, forgiveness is often linked to justice and the assurance that offenses um, will never be repeated again. I mean, that's, that's really what we are looking for, okay? Make sure these things never happen again. Make sure that we will never be wounded again. Make sure that we correct our behavior or our thoughts and so forth. In other words, for forgiveness to be truly effective, it has to be linked with repentance, and when it's not, the ramifications can be truly devastating. Well, in his book, From Hurt to Healing, uh, the author Park writes that when people's deep wounds are not healed, those wounds become vortexes of troubled waters intertwined with their own instincts for survival. In other words, hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. They act from a place of internal woundedness that has yet to be forgiven and healed and released. And, and interesting, you know, here we are in 2022. I, I still find that there is, you know, still much debate over who really benefits over forgiveness. Who benefits from forgiveness? Is it the one who forgives? Or is it the one who is being forgiven? When you think about it, it's both, actually. Think about it in terms of, of you know, who carries the burden. Okay, so uh, let's say if uh, you're over a certain age, I'm sure you remember playing the video game Tetris. You know, maybe you played this game in an arcade or at home or on a Game Boy. Well, if you've ever, if you have never played this game, the format was kind of easy to understand. You kind of picked it up, you know, in just, you know, a couple of tries. And the game itself would begin when, let's say, various shaped blocks, one at a time, would drop slowly from the top of the screen. And you had to quickly turn and flip the blocks around and stack them in a way that you could avoid building up this wall. And the key of the game was to complete a full row of blocks in order that the row would then disappear, thus making your wall smaller. And of course, the more successful you were in eliminating your blocks, the more difficult the game became. Uh, the blocks would then start to be dropped faster. And I have to admit that as a teenager, I played that game for hours. It was very, very addictive. Well, as with most video games, Tetris is rooted within popular culture, uh, and which, of course, extends beyond just the arcade or gaming system of its day. You know, it certainly can be applied to all areas of our lives. And one area in particular looks closely at the neurological effects on the human brain following hours of playing Tetris, which is often called the Tetris effect. Now, according to one researcher, uh, Dr. Richard Hayer, uh, he says that prolonged Tetris activity can also lead to more efficient brain activity during the play. Uh, for example, 
when first playing Tetris, uh, brain function and activity increases. Okay, good hand-eye coordination and all that. And he says also there is greater cerebral energy consumption, and which is me measured by the glucose metabolic rate. And as Tetris players become more proficient, their brains actually showed a reduced consumption of glucose indicating more efficient brain activity for this particular task. In fact, you know, he also noted that just with a, a moderate time playing Tetris, let's just say for 30 minutes a day for three months, that time actually boosts critical thinking, reasoning, language, and processing, and increases the cerebral cortex thickness, which is a good thing. You know, the greater the thickness of the cerebral cortex, the increase in one's intelligence. Okay. Well, ironically, forgiveness has a similar effect on the cerebral cortex. In one study by uh, an author named Worthington, he states that uh, forgiveness is a cognitive and an emotional process that eradicates uh, chronic hostility or this need for rumination over what has been done to you or what you did to others. And um, it also reverses the effects like hypertension. I mean, think about it. How many times and how much energy have you spent ruminating on an offense? One month? A year? Five years? Ten years? Longer? I mean, how many times have we laid awake in bed at night playing the, yeah, I know, I should have, I could have, I would have game? I mean, interestingly enough, forgiveness promotes well-being. I mean, those studies have been done over and over and over again. You know, uh, when a person truly forgives, it shows up in just uh, greater physical health, greater physical and mental, emotional health. So it does, forgiveness does promote a well-being, an overall sense of well-being, and it also promotes uh, good cardiovascular health, and it may increase survival rates. Now, specifically, uh, trait forgiveness, that is uh, a constant attitude to, you know, be able to forgive, is associated with a diminished, you know, um, use of medication and alcohol. And it's interestingly enough, and after the break, I'll go into a little bit more detail about this, of just what is this trait forgiveness? How do we get there? How do we live our lives in just a constant atti attitude of forgiveness? And why is it that some people are you know, more readily available to forgive, whereas others, it is just something to be shunned, shall we say? Well, furthermore, um, empathy, you know, that that comes from forgiveness. Empathy towards an offender also eliminates, uh, like shall we say, a retaliatory behavior, you know, the, the need to retaliate, the need to get even. And the reason for this is because when we understand where the offense came from, you know, where the person came from, their experiences, you know, the circumstances that led to, you know, their behavior and lashing out that they did or saying the, the, you know, very evil things that they did and, and the wounds that he or she carries up to that point. You know, if we're honest with each other, given all those factors, we would probably act in the same manner. But furthermore, when we're able 
to step back and think about just what experiences must have happened to the offender to be able to lash out in aggression or to cut another with their words or to take advantage of innocent people. Indeed, what happened to victims is horrific and appalling and must be accounted for. But what happens to the offender is in some ways much, much worse. You see, their their sense of morals and ethics and empathy have been destroyed by what has been done to them. But also, if the offender had the opportunity to be forgiven and truly heal from their past, would they likely commit the offense again? Probably not. And, and this is what forgiveness offers, an opportunity to be healed and live a better life. We all act and speak from degrees of ignorance. You know, we just simply do not know what we do not know. But if we truly see the psychological, emotional, physical, and spiritual damage done internally and externally, would we be willing to hurt another? Would we be willing to hurt ourselves? Well, I've used the analogy of Tetris and other video games many times as I work with kids and teens regarding their academic and social interactions. Uh, by the time I see them, either grades are failing or they're you know, experimenting with drugs or you know, they're not going to school or they're acting out or they're just angry, hostile little guys and girls. And uh, we often get on the subject of video games. Like, what are you playing these days? And, of course, you know, the latest Kirby game is out, as they tell me. And, and of course, the uh, latest Pokemon game is out and, you know, everything like that. And I don't know what's coming out next for Easter. But I'm sure, you know, they, these companies are always cranking out new games. So these uh, little guys and girls just, uh, you know, keep me up to date with uh, what's the, the latest of the video games. But it doesn't take long for us to get talking about the storyline of the games and what skills you you need in order to beat the game you know because it's true video games develop critical thinking skills and problem solving skills you know plus you know what i try to link together with these games and you know with with the kids is that there is a lot of application between the video game world and the world in which they live i mean for example quite often teens either intentionally or unintentionally feel isolated from their friends or others, almost as if they've been excluded by, let's say, impenetrable walls that have forced them into isolation and loneliness. I mean, they're, they're trying to fit in and they're trying to fit in with a group, but they keep, let's say, they keep running into these walls imposed on them by others. And it doesn't take long I mean, if they keep getting rejected enough times before you know it, they've started to build their own walls to keep other people away. And this analogy is not just for kids and teens. Adults can feel excluded as well, whether it's at work or their own social groups or you know, um, within their religious communities or communities of faith and even within their own families. Well, would you believe that the video game Tetris has a lot to teach us regarding not only the emotional walls we build to protect ourselves and to keep others out, 
but also it teaches us how we can find healing from these emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual wounds. Because again, when you think about it, as we construct our walls brick by brick through forgiveness, they can also come down brick by brick. Forgiveness is a process. In fact, during this process, we just might be surprised at how many bricks are connected to each other. In fact, the, the interesting point to all of this is when we begin taking down our bricks, shall we say, through forgiveness, we just don't throw them into a pile. Like, okay, another one down, let's just toss that over there until they're just in a, you know, a, a mess, you know, just piled on top of one another. But instead, we transform those bricks, which were once formed into a wall, into now a structure that empowers others to experience love and grace and forgiveness for themselves. And this is where your giftedness comes in. Because how you transform that wall that you've built through your own wounds and protection and so forth, I get it. People do this to feel protected, but when it's time to forgive and time to remove those bricks from the wall, your own giftedness, your own uh, uniqueness transforms those bricks into something more life-giving for the sake of others. Well, there's a, a Buddhist story out there regarding the one time Buddha did not forgive someone. And it just seems kind of ironic and you know shocking that, well, of course the Buddha would forgive. I mean, that's ultimately what his teaching was all about. But it's this story is also told in a way that focuses on real compassion from which forgiveness flows. The story goes like this. A restless businessman once came into the Buddha's assembly and walked straight at him and he spat at the Buddha. And he was furious that his children, who could have spent their time earning money, decided to sit with the Buddha instead, with their eyes closed. Well, the Buddha just merely smiled at this businessman. There was no word, there was no reaction. And the man stood there for the long time until he walked away in a huff and he just was shocked. And interestingly, he couldn't sleep all night. I mean, you see, for the first time in his life, he met somebody who smiled when he was spit at. His whole world had turned upside down. Well, the next day, he goes back to the Buddha, and he fell at his feet, and he said, Please forgive me. I didn't know what I did. But the Buddha said, no, sir, I cannot excuse you. And everybody in his assembly was taken aback. The Buddha said, why should I forgive you when you have done nothing wrong? Well, the businessman recounted what he did on the previous day. He reminded the Buddha, weren't you there when I, I spat on you? And the Buddha simply replied, uh, you know, okay, that, that person is not here right now. If I ever meet the person you spat on, I'll tell him to excuse you. To this person here, you've not done any wrong. See, your forgiveness should be such that a person who is forgiven 
does not even know that you are forgiving them. They should not even feel guilty about their mistake. And this is real compassion. And that's what the Buddha taught. So yes, forgiveness very much has to do with ourselves. It it is about self-healing, self-empowerment, and self-liberation. But in the second half of today's show, I'm going to be looking specifically at how we can take down our bricks that have been used to construct an emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual wall of protection. So if you would like to call in, again, that number is 888-627-6008, and I'll be taking your calls after this short break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Be back with you in one minute. Okay, welcome back. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, just a quick word about next week's show. That show is going to be held next Friday, April the 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. And the show will focus on Spirit Winds, the Healing Flute, F-L-U-T-E. That's right, the flute, Spirit Winds, the Healing Flute. Now, if you've been following this show uh, for a while, you've heard me play my flute in the beginning, middle, and end of the show each week. And uh, I use various Native American flutes to achieve this. So I thought it would be nice to devote a show towards uh, different Native American flutes I have and, and how they speak to us uh, not only spiritually, but also, again, with this integration of spirituality and mental health, also how they lift our spirits. So if you play the flute or interested in talking about flutes, uh, again, invite you to call in next week for Spirit Wins, The Healing Flute. And I'll have uh, some interesting stories to share about how I got started and my teacher and uh, and so forth. <clears throat> Well, earlier in the show, I quoted the author Park in his book, From Hurt to Healing. And in his book, he writes that when people's deep wounds are not healed, those wounds become vortexes of troubled waters intertwined with their own instincts for survival. In other words, if these wounds are not healed, they're going to keep growing and growing and growing 
In other words, hurt people hurt people, as I said before, and wounded people wound people. They act from a place of internal woundedness that has yet to be forgiven, healed, and released. And interestingly, there is, as I said, there is still much debate over who benefits from forgiveness. You know, is it the one who forgives or is it the one who is being forgiven? And it's actually both. And volumes and volumes and volumes and books and books and books have been written on the subject of forgiveness and the psychological benefits of forgiveness and the emotional benefit benefits of forgiveness and so forth. And it seems to be uh, still a hot-button topic in many, many people because when you just toss out the word, oh, I'm going to be talking on forgiveness today, you talk about walls going up. You know, right away, you know, people are reminded of how they've been hurt or with the last time somebody broke their heart or they, they suffered a betrayal or whatever the case might be. They are constantly reminded, immediately reminded of these wounds. Well, Bonnie Wheel, uh, who wrote the book Adultery, The Forgivable Sin, she states that if we don't forgive a grudge, there is a part of us that dies inside. We lose our optimism, our enthusiasm, and our zest for life. And, and that is so true. I run into many people time and time again, in a counseling situation or just everyday life, who have just, they feel kind of stuck. They just don't have any hope. They just are not enthusiastic and just, you know, the, the zest for life is just not there. And it doesn't take long for us to start talking, and sooner or later we get on the subject of hurts or offenses that have never been forgiven, or they're holding on to something, and just how that is just zapping their uh, emotional, psychological strength. You know, they just they live without hope. They just don't feel enthusiastic. In fact, just the opposite is occurring. They are becoming quite bitter, quite resentful. They don't feel well. They have heart problems. They have stomach problems. They get migraines or however else is being manifested in them physically. Forgiveness is that powerful. Unforgiveness is that powerful. And yet, how many of us have said at one point in our lives, Look, I get hurt, and you want me to forgive the offender? I mean, after all, I'm the one that got hurt. The offender should do something for me. And, you know, on, on one hand, you know, it sounds reasonable to hang on to problems such as anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. But, I mean, let's be honest here, too. The real issue why we don't want to forgive is perhaps that we want to keep ourselves protected from further wounding. I get that. I truly get that. We, we live in a society where we want to avoid pain at all costs, especially emotional pain. We don't want to let our guard down and be hurt all over again. But this kind of thinking traps us in, in our pain and offers no plausible solution, especially if, uh, you know, let's say the person who hurt us, offenders, don't realize that they did something wrong. Or even if they do, they just don't feel like making amends. 
you know, this this um, situation seems problematic and, and locks victims into a space filled with hurt. And carrying this hurt can be a burden to one's social, physical, and mental well-being. But forgiveness eases this and, not surprisingly, is linked to improved health and quality of life. Well, as I said, I, this, peak, this week I've uh, had some pretty interesting conversations with kids about forgiveness. And uh, they, you know, sooner or later we get talking about video games. And, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, many times video games are not seen as ways to teach kids about real lessons in life. You know, after all, we say, well, it's a game. It's a form of escape and so on and so forth. But, you know, everything is a teachable moment for us. Okay, because for instance, okay, uh, in the video game, you know, you're trying to reach an end or a goal, you know, whether it's getting to a finish line or reaching the top of a mountain or even trying to find a hidden treasure, whatever the goal of the game is. And most of the time, it takes several attempts to succeed. You know, kids are pretty good these days in figuring out the game, but still, first several tries, uh, no, they haven't figured it out yet. But, um, you know, pretty much anybody playing the game for the first time has ever reached the goal of the game without making a few mistakes along the way and just simply had to start over. But herein lies life's lesson about forgiveness. When we forgive or when we ask another for forgiveness, it's like we've been given another chance to start over to start over with ourselves and with the other person and even to start over with God. You know, forgiveness allows us to re-enter society a little bit wiser, a little bit more engaged and living in gratitude because we, you know, know how much we have been forgiven of. So let's return to this analogy, the game Tetris. As I said before, the game begins when various shape blocks, one at a time, drop slowly from the top of the screen. And you have to quickly turn and flip the blocks around and stack them in a way that you could avoid building up a wall. And of course, the, the overall key to the game was to complete a full row of blocks uh, in order that the row would disappear, thus making your wall smaller. Uh, now, the very, you know, talented ones playing Tetris, they were really good at, you know, if they could just, you know, find that one piece and they were able to eliminate, you know, three, four, five sections of rows. And that was pretty exciting because the game would, you know, have like special music or something. But um, of course, you know, the more successful you were in eliminating your blocks, the more difficult the game was. The blocks would then, you know, start to be dropped faster. And, of course, the music would get going, you know, and your little heart rate would get up and so forth. But um, so let's think about our, our wall of unforgiveness and hurts or whatever you have constructed your wall with. Okay. Draw it out on a piece of paper. And make sure you draw the blocks large enough to show how they're all connected. And if you like, picture a brick wall or a brick house or some other walled structure. Okay? See how the bricks are arranged. See how they're interconnected. See how strong they are and so forth. Okay? Do you have it? All right. Good. Now, once you have your wall constructed, 
no matter how high it goes. It doesn't matter at this point. Just construct your wall. Now, look at it closely and ask yourself these questions. How did this wall get to be so high? How many months and years have we been building this wall of hurt and unforgiveness? How thick are those bricks? Are they your average size red bricks, or are they more like cinder blocks? How are these bricks connected, and how are they cemented or held together? Do this for as long as you need to. And when you've finished answering these questions, imagine, again, yourself standing before your brick wall. And you have a piece of chalk in your hand, okay? And then at random, go ahead and write how you have been hurt on each one of the bricks. You know, let's say on one brick, you might write uh, how you were embarrassed at your wedding or a funeral. On another brick, you might write how you felt betrayed by one who said he or she would always stand by you. And still... On other bricks, you might write senseless acts of aggression or cruelty that you experienced. Go ahead and write as much on your bricks as you need to. There is no time limit to this. Now, once you are able to do that, find a different colored piece of chalk and write down everything on those same bricks, or uh, bricks that don't have anything written on them, things that you have said or done to another person or persons. Okay. For example, on one brick, you might write how you embarrassed others at a wedding or a funeral. On another brick, you might write down how you betrayed one who you, know, you said you would always stand by. And still, on other bricks, you might write the senseless acts of aggression or cruelty that you committed or the hurtful things that you said. Go ahead and write as much on your bricks as you need to. And all in all, this exercise might take you an hour. It might take you a day. Or maybe it will be an ongoing task for you to complete over several weeks. It's up to you. Like I said, there is no time limit here. It all depends. But when you've finished, look at your wall. Just sit with this wall for some time. Again, no time limit involved here. And just allow yourself to feel those emotions that are attached to those wounds, those bricks. Don't judge them. Just let them come up and notice them. Okay. Then ask yourself these questions. What needs to happen for me to take down one brick? Just one brick. What do you need to see? What do you need to hear? What do you need to say? What do you need to do? What needs to happen for me to take down just one brick? And what's keeping you now from doing so? How are other bricks in this wall connected? 
What do they have in common? Is there a pattern of woundedness here? And what do I gain from keeping these bricks in place? What do I lose out on by keeping these bricks in place? So we can apply this same exercise, this same analogy, the same metaphor of Tetris uh, to our lives, especially when it comes to forgiveness and gratitude. And most of the time, even to this day, society wants to treat these themes as separate and individual. It's either forgiveness or gratitude. And yet, when it comes to integrating our spirituality and our mental health, forgiveness and gratitude can never be separated. Oh, we can try this make, you know, we could try to make this out to be, you know, which came first, kind of a chicken egg dilemma. But in all actuality, I have never met a person who didn't express gratitude in all that they do and say without also having forgiveness in their heart. Forgiveness and gratitude go hand in hand, just like peanut butter and jelly or peas and carrots. Because when we both have forgiveness and gratitude, it opens up the heart like nothing else in our lives, and it allows an authentic love of self and others to emerge. So how do we go about cultivating forgiveness and gratitude and love? Well, we begin with often the most difficult people we may ever encounter in our lives, our family. Forgiveness and gratitude must begin with our families because this is often where we've experienced some of the most pain and hurt in our lives. Psychological, emotional, say it with me, physical and even spiritual pain. And we have to begin with our family or, you know, or, uh, you know the origin you know, issues because these are the first people who gave us a sense of how the world works. I had mentioned a little bit just last week, uh, one of my favorite family systems theorists, Murray Bowen, suggests that a, a person cannot be fully understood in isolation. That is, they can't be fully understood apart from the greater context of their family or their community or the culture and the world. And yet, within these larger systems, people struggle to differentiate themselves and, and to really be guided by their own thoughts and feelings and actions. In other words, although individuals desire to think and live and be free for themselves, that is, developing creative and critical thinking skills, they're often drawn back into the prevailing and often codependent emotional patterns that char characterize families and cultures and societies. Well, still, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we may live in a part of the world where society's definition of differentiation is a mixed message. On one hand, differentiation is often taken to the extreme, as we're told to look out for number one, be an individual, walk to the beat of your own drum, even at the expense of others, if necessary. Yet on the other hand, there are times when we are also expected to go with the flow. Don't make waves. Fall in line and just keep your head down and just go with that status quo. 
And if these mixed messages are confusing, you, you know, you're not alone. All we have to do is just take a look at the history of systems in order to understand the violent and oppressive patterns against people who didn't conform to such wishes. And these mixed messages can go back for generations and generations. In fact, um, you've again, you've heard me talk about this, you know, ancestral healing, that whenever we think of, you know, ancestral healing, we might be hesitant to begin this process because we may still hold a tremendous amount of bitterness and rage and contempt against those who committed physical, emotional, or even sexual abuse against us or our families. In fact, as we flip through those family albums, we may discover they're not always filled with pleasant memories. Instead, these pages may be filled with more memories of abuse and control and oppression and just downright cruelty. But nevertheless, when we realize that we can be the transitional generation that no longer has to carry these wounds, then our ancestors no longer have to carry them either. I mean, indeed, we all possess inner strengths and resources and gifts to make this happen. Yes, wounded people wound people, and intergenerational trauma attests to this. And yet, people who live their lives in forgiveness and gratitude and love transform generations. And discovering the power of our soul's voice is, tre is a tremendous catalyst for change. I mean, true forgiveness goes a step further, offering something positive, empathy, compassion, understanding toward the person who hurt you. Now, in creating a, a living dialogue with, our, let's say, our ancestors, remembering that our soul connection with them is not about placing blame or finding fault for wounds suffered from intergenerational trauma. Instead, it's a dialogue intended to create an ongoing opportunity for healing and reconciliation, as well as stopping the harmful psychological, emotional, and spiritual patterns from being passed on to generations even yet to be born. See, being the transitional generation, therefore, uh, requires us to pretty much stand in the gap, as it were, and to offer forgiveness and release not just for ourselves, but for all family members, regardless of whether or not they were perpetrators or victims. Our emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual woundedness that have formed these bricks do not create a wall all at once. They go up brick by brick, hurt by hurt, wound by wound. And before we know it, we have a structure whereby no one touches us and we touch no one. But as we find forgiveness, we are empowered to take down these bricks and use them to now create beauty that flows from a heart of gratitude. You know, there once was uh, an emperor who lived in Japan who possessed a, a very old and very costly vase. It was a unique masterpiece in the art of, say, chinaware. And one day, somebody knocked it over by accident and broke it into just thousands of pieces. The fragments were carefully collected, and the most skilled master potters of the whole empire were commissioned 
to put the vase together again. And one by one, they tried very hard to do so, but when they failed, they had to pay for it with their head. And then the emperor would just like, okay, who's next? And when that person failed, off with your head, next, and so on, and so on, and so on. I mean, this repeated itself for many weeks until all the master potters of the realm, shall we say, were beheaded, since none of them succeeded in putting the this exquisite vase together again. But in the end, only a single artist was left, just an old Zen monk living with his young pupil, cave in the mountains. And on the emperor's call, he came to the palace, and he took the broken pieces with him, and he carried them to his humble workshop. And then he set out to work. And after several weeks, the monks showed the results of his endeavor to his pupil. The vase had resurrected in its flawless beauty. The two monks wandered back to the city and delivered the vase to the palace. The emperor was overly happy, and the whole, the whole court praised the perfection of the restored masterpiece. And the old monk was richly rewarded and gracefully dismissed. Well, one day, the young pupil was just rummaging around for something in the workshop when he unexpectedly discovered the broken scraps, the broken shards of the old vase. And he quickly ran to his master and he exclaimed, Look, I found all these pieces. You know, you didn't put them back together. You know, you didn't use them all. However, did you only manage to create a vase that is just as beautiful as the shattered one? Yes, you did. Well, the old monk replied, If you put yourself to work with a heart full of love, you will always be able to create something beautiful. Forgiving is more empowering when you look at the bigger context. When you see from a wider perspective, you see the potential for healing in others. In fact, true compassion spontaneously arises in your heart. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I invite you to join me next Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, for another podcast, as we're going to be taking a look at the spirit wind, the healing of the flute. So until that time, everybody be safe, be careful, uh, look for ways in which to bring down the bricks in your life and the walls that you have created to protect yourself. Truly forgive one another. Truly look for the potential for healing, not just in yourselves, but also others, even if you're just meeting them for the very first time. You never know what opportunities might lie in a simple conversation. So until next time, everybody take care and God bless. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific Time on PBS Radio TV.